Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. I am uh, Dave Messerschmidt, professor in the Electrical Engineering and Computer Sciences Department. It's my pleasure this afternoon to introduce Dr. Robert Lucky, who is the this week's uh, Hitchcock lecturer on the campus. Uh, Bob comes from Bell Communications Research, otherwise known as Bellcor, which is one of the major players in the telecommunications industry. Telecommunications has a uh, long and interesting history. Uh, up until about 10 or 15 years ago, it was mostly revolved around telephony, that is the provision of telephone services. And uh, for a number of decades, the basic agenda in, in telecommunications was to extend uh, telephone service to the population at large. And uh, so the government policy was really directed at the issue of how do we uh, get what's called universal service, which is to get everybody with a telephone. And this was done by um, creating a uh, sanctioned monopoly and regulation. Um, then about uh, 10 or 15 years ago, the agenda kind of switched. We now had sort of reached this universal service to achieving competitiveness in the industry. Uh, it was perceived that there was not a fast enough velocity of innovation of new services into the marketplace and that a competitive environment would accomplish that. Uh, this is moving from a large integrated uh, single ownership network to a large number of players uh, in the industry providing different pieces of the pie. And this is generally called uh, disintegration, or if you pronounce it a little bit differently, disintegration. Uh, it has, the word has uh, several meanings. And more recently, this uh, whole issue of uh, Internet has come into the fore, and data networking has become very important. And there's a lot of disappointment with the fact that we don't have higher speed access to the internet, so-called broad, broadband access. And uh, this is basically back to the issue of universal service. We have this wonderful service that we know about, and which is broadband or high speed access to the internet, and how do we extend it to the uh, populace at large? Even though we have the technology, how do we set up the business to make that happen? And that's the issue that Bob is going to talk about today. Uh, the problem is that the environment is very much different than it was in the issue of universal service in telephony. Namely, uh, it's now a competitive environment, and so we have to figure out how to do this in the context of competition. Now, Bob is an ideal person to talk about this issue because he's made major contributions on both the technical side and the management and business side of this particular issue. Uh, when I first arrived at Bell Labs myself in 1967, uh, Bob was the head of the data theory department. And this was the department that made many of the major advances in understanding of, of communication, digital communication, uh, which is embodied not only within these technologies for high-speed access, but also the voice band data modems that you all know and love. And uh, Bob not only himself made a major uh, innovation that's well recognized in that technology, but also uh, accumulated a group of um, the smartest people in the world in this particular field to attack this problem. Now, when I arrived, I wasn't smart enough to join this group, but uh, I guess I was smart enough that they were willing to talk to me. So I had a number of uh, wonderful interactions with Bob and with his department at that time. Uh, later on, he moved up in management 
uh, in Bell Laboratories, uh, you know, higher and higher and higher. Uh, and so he certainly has the uh, the managerial view of the issues involved in this uh, in this area as well. Then five years ago, he left Bell Labs and joined Bellcor, which is a uh, research and development arm of the regional Bell operating companies at that time. Uh, where he became the corporate vice president in charge of all of the applied research activities within Belcor, and by inference, basically within all of the uh, local telephone industry. Uh, very recently, Belcor was uh, purchased uh, by SAIC, which is a company in San Diego. Uh, the telephone companies decided to divest themselves of the research and development arm. Uh, so Bob is now owned by Californians. And this is my theory for one reason he's with us. He's, he uh, views it as politically astute to talk to his owner. Okay, Bob, thank you. Thank you, Dave. And uh, sometimes I hear my introduction, I don't recognize myself. <laughs> uh, and I'd like to thank the Hitchcock Committee uh, and uh, all the people at Berkeley for making this week possible for me. I've had a wonderful time uh, being here this week and uh, giving a, a number of lectures, and uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a great experience, and this is a great place to be. And in many ways, I envy all of you for being here a lot more than I am. I'm just coming in and going out, but all of you, most of you, are staying around, uh, and that, that's great. Um, how come we can't connect? at high speeds to the telephone. I mean, what are these people doing? How come I don't have better service? You know, when I, give, uh, when I talk about this, I really don't think about it per like a person from the telephone industry. I always think like I'm a consumer and I want this stuff, and how come I don't have it? And this is the kind of attitude I'm going to take during my talk, so uh, you might recognize that, recognize that as we go along. Uh, communications, as I knew it and loved it, when it was a monopoly and we did what was right for you people, uh, <laughs> has changed uh, irrevocably. And a lot of it's really exciting. I'm not going to talk about all this stuff, but you know, this is an unprecedented period of innovation. The whole world's breaking apart. We're rebuilding the whole, the whole network's totally from scratch. Um, the users, you people, are being empowered to do wonderful things. Like in the old days, I mean, all you could do is buy a black telephone from the Bell system. But now, you know, anybody can, can start their own company, provide their own services, do anything. It's a wonderful thing. There's a whole new business model, and an economic revolution is going to take place. I have no idea how people are going to charge for communications in the future, what the basis for the charging will be, what it will be. That's a whole different subject, again, that I'm not going to talk about. And there's new technology, and the two biggest things going on are a renaissance in wireless, a rebirth of wireless, and then the packet coup as Internet takes over the world. Now, um, uh, an executive of one of the telephone companies at a speech uh, not too long ago made a point about these times as seen from the view of a telephone company that I thought embodied the wisdom of, of our current time. And that is, he said, our problem... We can't cope because the average time between decisions exceeds the average time between surprises. And every time they decide something, it turns out to be wrong and uh, very quickly. And that's the kind of thing that's going on. And these people, I have a great deal of sympathy for them. They're trying to decide how to invest billions of dollars. And every time they decide, the world changes and, and it's wrong. 
Now, today I'm going to talk primarily, in fact, just completely about the problem of Internet access. Uh, we all know what's going on in Internet, and I use this curve a lot, and I'll use it one more time today. But this shows time. You know, we all know that the, the number of users of the Internet is doubling every year. This shows the projected human population and the projected number of Internet users. And you will see that in approximately the year 2003, that the number of Internet users exceeds the human population. Um, I'm not going to go into it in this talk, but, you know, I think that could happen. Uh, you know, we all envision a time when every telephone, every uh, light switch and every um, light bulb and every appliance has an Internet address and talks to its neighbors and its maker and reports on your, on your usage and stuff like that. Uh, so um, the world will just be filled with devices that are talking on the Internet as well as people. And then I always think that the aliens will be out there too um, using this thing. Um, but what we're having is this surge of Internet use that the traditional infrastructure is not prepared for. And people are overlaying this service on a network that was never intended for use like that. Uh, and as we look at this coming, and in, in, you go back about five years ago, the, the executives of the telephone companies had never heard of Internet. And basically, if this is an academic thing, it'll go away, just don't pay attention to it. And now we're going through a period where they all talk, yeah, this is happening. But I'm still not sure that they really intuitively believe that this is going to inundate them, that this is going to take over everything. So we're looking at two events in the near future that people talk about. The crossover, when data equals voice. And we may be there even today, where the data traffic is, is, is as much as a voice traffic. And no one has any way to measure this, so it's not really known. But some people believe that it's already happening, and others say maybe within the next year. And most, too, the data will be. But then the next event is the eclipse, when data totally dominates voice. And the, tr the thing is that if, in fact, Tenenhaus, by the way, is the uh, heads of DARPA projects in this. And, and he says, well, the crossover would be within 12 months. Uh, but he also says, an well, interesting observation to me, that the eclipse could be a sudden event. Because what happens is if the, if the data traffic is doubling annually, and one year it's equal, you know, go ahead two years and voice doesn't matter. The voice is a drop in the bucket out there. The voice won't matter, and you have an entire infrastructure, companies, economics based on voice, and that will be the little thing out there. The data will be the big thing out there. Reed Hunt, the chairman of the FCC, said at a talk last year at IEEE that, I think put it very well, we, we need a data network that can easily carry voice instead of what we have today, a voice network struggling to ha carry data. Or, you know, here's his attitude. The country's communication network of days is a $300 billion sunk cost circuit switch telco network whale with a tiny market of ISP circling around like pilot fish. There are about 6,000 internet service providers today, tiny companies eating away like piranha, you know. And then there's this giant whale swimming through 
swimming through the, the water. And it, it sort of has these mental attributes of a whale. You know, it doesn't move very fast, but it's inexorable in its, in its thing. In fact, I just am remembering as I'm speaking, uh, early in my career, I was invited to, up to the corporate headquarters of the Bell System uh, in, down in uh, New York City. And uh, when I... Uh, and I talked to some of the vice presidents there. I mean, to me, that was the highest thing in the world at those days. And I got back to Bell Labs, and they asked me to give a little talk to the group about what it was like visiting corporate headquarters. And I said it was like being on a, uh, an ocean liner, and you're down below decks all the time, and one day they invite you up to the bridge to meet the captain. And you go up there, and you discover there's nobody there. <laughs> You know, and this giant ocean liner is going inexorably ahead, you know, and you hear the sounds of the party coming up from below, and you realize nobody's running this thing. Anyway, my boss stood up and said, that ends this talk. You know, <laughs> I not appreciate that at all. Um, but as a matter of fact, the, the telcos do have a problem, and I, I, a little story that to, uh, to give some empathy for their problems. Uh, I heard this um, last year, and for the first time, I thought, everybody must know this. Uh, and I said, oh, surely it's not true. But this story was how they catch monkeys with jars in Malaysia or someplace like that. As I said, either you probably heard it, I had never heard it before, or it's apocryphal and not true at all. But it just reminds me of the plight of the telcos. But, the, but what, apparently what they do, or what it's said that they do, and I'm assured it's true, is that you, you wedge a jar into uh, the, the, the neck of a tree, into the, one of the forks of the tree, and you put some food in the jar. And then the next morning, you just go out there and collect the monkeys. And the, the thing is, the theory is they put their fist into the jar to grab the food, but their fist is too large to get out of the jar. And they refuse to let go of the food. And they stand there all night <laughs> with their fists in the jar, and you just come and pick them up in the morning. Uh, yeah, I just picture, you know, waking up in the jungle, and, you know, your alarm clock goes off. Well, i got to go out and collect the monkeys, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but, you know, the telcos may be like that, standing there with their fists holding on to the voice traffic. But to let go of this is a form of suicide for them. But they may have to do that to join the new world. So, you know, these are difficult decisions for these people. And I was with one of the executives this morning agonizing about what to do about that. And, in fact, new companies are being formed uh, almost daily that say, we're going to redo this whole thing. These guys don't know how to do it. We're going to do it. And uh, just in the last uh, uh, few weeks, uh, one of the most significant, in my opinion, called Level 3 Communications. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but um, this is a company formed by Peter Kiewit and Son, who you've probably never heard of either. But they're a big construction company, and their main, their main attribute that they have is they have $3 billion. And they don't know what to do with it. So uh, they have been given this opportunity. We are going to rebuild the world's telecommunication from scratch, and we will build it such that it only costs one-tenth of what these clowns charge today. And people stand back and say, is it possible using internet principles, packet switching, no circuit switching, all optical technology, 
No, you know, um, IP, it's IP Dalton. IP is the Internet Protocol, of which, of course, many of you know. And, and so the plug on your wall will be like an Ethernet plug. It takes packets and nothing out there but packet switches. And they say, this can be an order of magnitude cheaper than what we have today, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to do this thing all over again. And several other companies have this aspiration. The government, of course, is financing a next-generation Internet project, and uh, they say, we want a back, backbone bandwidth of 100 gigabits. And end, but what's significant here to me is the end-user bandwidth of one gig at your desktop. And you might ask, what am I going to do with a gigabit? And I would tell you, I don't have any idea whatsoever. <laughs> but I have faith that you will need it. <laughs> and I think Bill Gates will take care of this. <laughs> so you will need a gigabit. You need a gigahertz processor. And this will probably be just to run Word, Word 9.0. <laughs> So what is happening today is the internet users are congesting the telephone network. They, you know, people are trying to get in there. I actually was looking at this today. I, is this Berkeley? Does anybody know? You know, it's a likely place to have taken this picture uh, years ago. Can anybody, does anybody see the background and recognize anything around here? Old-fashioned you know, No, this is back from the 60s, back when, you know, people did this day goldfish and you know, clustered in, uh, in uh, telephone booths and stuff like that. Meanwhile, I don't mean to talk to belabor the point today at this talk, but uh, interesting subject of conversation. Do you want the network to be dumb or smart? The telcos, of course, have for years argued intelligent networks, central provisioning and services. But the Internet idea is a dumb network. It does nothing. All of the intelligence, all of the, the cost, the control, is on your desktop. The services are provisioned from your desktop. There is nothing out there but a dumb network. And, uh, you know, that's not, that's not too good from the telco standpoint, but that's the way the new world may be. And as I say, there's a lot of argument pro and con about that kind of thing. But what I'm here to talk about mostly today is how are you and I going to connect at high speeds to this network? We're demanding it. You know, we like what we've seen. Uh, we love the idea of surfing on the web, but we don't like the, we don't like the speed. You know, if you could, I could, you see the touch of possibility there that we have in the web. If you could fly through this thing, you know, and get instant access and float through it, it would be wonderful. But you don't, you know. You click and you wait, and it's a, it's a painful experience sometimes. So what we need is broadband connection. What we really need is a connection that's always on. Pacific Bell uh, issued a formal response to the FCC earlier this year, and they, they, one of the things that they um, presented was the average connect times, so the distribution of connect times of people dialing Internet access. And they made a big point that it's really terrible, but 7.5% of the people never hang up. Now, you're supposed to hang up. You know, that's the way the telephone network was designed. Three to five minutes and you're out of there. Because you've got to share the network with other people. And here's 7.5% of the people last January in California were never hanging up. Now, me as an old communicator, I think that's a great idea. We should always be connected. 
like when you're in your office, you leave it on all the time, and the mail comes in, and whatever, and that's the way it always ought to be, and you ought to have multiple simultaneous you know, connections. That's the way it ought to be. Broadband, always on. But we have 100 million households out there to serve, 170 million telephone access lines, and um, wireless is going like crazy. It's the fastest growth area. Cable, 67 million cable connections, 40 million PCs. And when you worry about the growth of the internet, you worry about what's it, what is it going to run on and how fast are the PCs uh, growing because pretty soon you're going to saturate internet connection with PCs. And then you need something else. And maybe we'll get those dumb appliance terminals. Maybe we'll get network computers, although I doubt it. Uh, maybe web TVs will do it. Who knows? But you'll need another mechanism other than just connecting the current PCs to it. So let's talk about how you connect to the network and what's happening and how come you're not getting high-speed connections. Um, you know, in the old days, we did it the right way. Um, 1888. You know, it's incredible to me that the skies were already dark with wires. You know, you ran a wire everywhere to connect people. And we really haven't changed the architecture very much. And these 100 million households uh, have a wire running into them, copper wire. And a lot of them are getting two and three and four copper wires right now. And the big growth, the telco stocks are, are, are growing in value. And, and the big reason is people are ordering uh, second and third lines. And then they're hanging on these modems and never hanging out. And uh, so that's the bad news, the good news. Now, today there are a lot of different access alternatives that um, people are proposing to get broadband to you and me. Uh, and I'm going to talk about most of these in the time I have left. And let's start out with the first one, a fiber to your home. Now, to me, um, I always say this is what God intended, you know, that you should have a fiber to your home. Uh, and I could give a long talk on the economics of this, but we'll just sum it down into two points. Why you need a fiber home and why you can't have one, okay? <laughs> now, you need one because a fiber would give you this gigabit into your home. All the bandwidth you would want, and it would be yours alone. There'd be no problem with it. And even the economics are not bad. You know, the people who worry about fiber access keep doing economic studies that this is cheaper than copper now. And, it, it, and you don't have any maintenance problems with it, not nearly what you have with the copper. It's going to be cheaper to operate. And this is obviously the way to do it. So how come it's not happening? And it isn't happening. Well, about for the last um, 10 years, the industry had a vision of what was going to pay for fiber to the home. and And... This vision, and it was part of my talk of failed visions this Tuesday, some of you were there, the idea that everyone would be able to get any movie you wanted any time on your home TV set. And uh, the, the glowing example was the, the video rental stores. So if they can make money out of this, why not distribute it through the telephone lines? We'll lay fiber out there and we'll recoup our money because people will get video on demand. And that will pay for the whole thing. Well, what has happened is video demand has evaporated. And people have lost faith completely, and nobody thinks they can make money out of this anymore. It's a recent phenomenon, actually. Um, and the economics of putting the fiber out there don't seem so good. Now, in, in fact, about as of even two years ago, California, I'll be specific, 
had uh, plans approved by the Utility Commission out here to put in hybrid fiber coax to essentially all the homes in California. They had very aggressive plans to wire half the homes in California in the next year. It was almost to be this year. This is They put fiber to a neighborhood and then coax bus to the home. And each node would serve a neighborhood of about 500 homes, and it would bring you all the television you'd ever want. Yeah, and then some. Um, I actually got in trouble with this myself. Um, I was at a meeting in um, Montana, and I uh, gave a talk about um, something. I don't remember. But there was a person in the audience asked to talk, ask a question afterwards. And this man asked me, um, how did I like the HFC proposal of Pacific Bell? And I said, um, so I said stupidly that I didn't like it because I had this thing in those days that I, and I was influenced by a number of friends who felt this, that the problem with this was that it was a one-way architecture. It was, we know what's good for you, we will broadcast down to you, and don't send us anything back upstream. And that's against the internet model of a, a reciprocity kind of thing where anybody could put up their own website, anybody could become a source. So I had sort of a religious problem with HFC. So and I went away from that meeting and I didn't, you know, I forgot all about it. And then a month later I get called in by my CEO and really read the riot act that the guy who asked me the question was head of the California Commission. How to get into trouble, big trouble. And he initiated a, an inquiry for Pacific Bell. I said, Lucky said this is no good, what you're doing. <laughs> Can you imagine? You know? So I was ordered to come out to San Ramon down here, you know, and with my hat in my hand and get down on my hands and knees and apologize for this, which I did. And they explained to me why this was a good thing. Um, but they said, they said, the reason that we're having trouble doing this is because of you. Yeah. And I took this pretty seriously. Um, and I listened to their plans, and they made a lot of sense to me. And I'm not sure if I had been one of their executives, I might, not, I might have done the same thing. The economics were pretty compelling. It looked like a good, good case. Who am I to, who am I to say that? Uh, but they, they, when they said it was my fault, I took it partly personally and partly as me in the, in the abstract. But they said, the problem is you and your friend Nicholas Negroponte. And Nicholas wrote an editorial about this in Wired magazine. Said, when you keep scoring on this, the investment community sees it, and we can't borrow the money to do this because of you. you know? And you know, for me, again, if you enlarge me, people like me, bad-mouthing it, and then it reflects back and they have trouble because this is all about raising money to do it. So what has happened was first, the, the steam went out of the, the video on demand, and uh, the whole world then uh, lost faith with putting fiber out there and paying for it with video on demand. Now there's, there's a further problem here that you have to understand that, that is paramount importance in all of this, and that's the economics of this thing. It's the facility provider's dilemma. If you're Pacific Bell and you dig up the streets and put a fiber out there, you've got to figure out how to get your cost back. And there's an uncertain market and unknown applications. High first cost, low usage revenue. Uh, now, the, the 
the, this really scary thing are the words stranded investment. You dig up the streets, you put the fiber, and nobody takes your service. And you have spent a billion dollars. You know, and there's no way to get it back. And, the, and that is so scary. First, they're scared to do it. And second, the investment community won't give them the money. Now, let me, let, me, um, let me belabor this point a little bit because it's really very important. I was at a meeting a couple years ago in Washington, and, and a typical kind of meeting we have where the computer people sit on my left and the telco people sit on my right, and they're totally different cultures. Computer people are fire-breathing uh, believers in Moore's Law. You know, everything gets better at an exponential rate. And telco people are sort of slothful and, you know, um, you know and, and conservative. And, you know, you can even see they wear suits and ties, you know. Um, and uh, the computer people, you know, in sweatshirts and, you know. And the computer people have all the money and the telco people don't have any money. Um, so anyway, uh, an economist, he actually worked for me. Uh, got up in the audience and he said the difference between our industries is when a person buys a computer they give you two thousand dollars and you have it to invest and spend when a person wants a fiber to their home they say give it to me and you figure out how to get your money back and this is a profound difference in the economic model the way this goes so a professor at MIT stands up in the back and reaches into his coat and he pulls out his checkbook. He says, I will write a check for $2,000 for whoever will put a fiber to my home. <laughs> and the other says, yeah, 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 I will too. And I thought, that's the way to do it. Let the homeowner pay for this as an investment and then we can do this. Then you don't have this bottleneck, this problem that you can't do this thing. So I went away very enthusiastic about my new economic model, and I went to a party, a just neighborhood party, and I asked people, would you pay $2,000 for your own fiber to your home? And they all said, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, only a techno nerd like you would do something really stupid like that. You know? So that was my first disillusionment. But then my second, I talked, actually, I talked to Hal Varian, who was a dean here, about this at the time. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, how come this doesn't work? And he told me a little story. It wasn't a parable. He said, this is a real story. He said that he had a friend that lived on a dirt road. And there were 10 houses on the road. And he said, one of the homeowners got this idea they should get together and pave the road. Um, and so he called a meeting. And he said, we'll all share the cost. We'll pave the road. This will be great for all of us. And they said, yeah, it's great. He says, five years later, nothing happened. And you can see the problem when you think about it. The first guy in the road said, wait a minute. I only use the first tenth of the road. <laughs> you know? And I share it with nine other people. The last guy uses the whole road, and he only shares the last part with nobody. So he should pay like 99%. I should pay 1%, you know. And you get into that. So the problem is that your fiber would only cost $2,000 if we did the whole thing at once and averaged the cost for everybody. So, and, and that's a tremendous obstacle. Now, I just thought about that. How would I wire my home? This is a picture of my old house in New Jersey. It's my son and his wife standing out in front accidentally. But I figure, you know, <laughs> um, uh, so I picture, you know, why I'm going to put in my own damn fiber. So I picture going down to Radio Shack and buying a telephone pole, 
and wire out my fiber. And then I think, where do I take this fiber to? You know, and then I come into all these difficulties of, you know, how you actually wire the whole neighborhood up into it. So anyway, that's why you can't get a fiber. You know, the, the economics don't work because of the threat of stranded investment. You know, digging up this, um, digging up the street and running the risk with all of these competitors coming in that you will never get your money back. So how else to do it? Well, the big thing you know, in recent weeks uh, really is ADSL, XDSL. This was a talk I gave somewhere, so just a, you know, just a placekeeper here. But this basically is a, a modem that you buy, and it sends high-speed data over your copper wire. And there are a whole bunch of different varieties of this, and they're called all different things. And by the way, ADSL stands for ADSL. Um, like ATM stands for ATM. And it's stupid. Well, you know, it doesn't have a real name. That's it, you know. <laughs> but uh, it, there are all different kinds of, of rates are possible here. And this, this I like very much. You know, you just go buy a modem, and you hook it up, and you, you're, on, you're on the air for a megabit. And everybody's happy, okay? Um, and the computer industry, uh, you may have seen the front page story in the Times and other things a week ago, two weeks ago. The computer industry got together and they, they said, Telco, you've got to make this happen. You know, we're going to standardize this. We're going to back this. You've got to do it. Let's get off the duff and make this happen. So the computer people, again, they want this to happen. And, but the fact is, I will tell you that right now there is an XDSL service from Pacific Bell. Uh, here in California, uh, SBC actually now, uh, and, and yet there are fully about 100 customers on it. So this is not really happening awfully fast, okay? And I talked to the guy in charge of this this morning, went down to San Ramon and talked to him, and, you know, and of course he's got lots of difficulty. He testified to Congress on Tuesday this week you know, and, and he said, because Congress wants to know, why, why isn't this happening? It's, it's, the technology's there. You can get a megabit, and, you know, why don't you just put it out there? Now, this guy says to Congress on Tuesday that it's going to cost $500 million to equip the infrastructure in California to allow this to happen. And he says, unless you make it possible for us to make a profit on that, we ain't going to do it. You know, we're not going to put that investment in there unless you will promise that if we make money, we can keep it. And because of the rate of return regulation and the California Commission, desire for universal service, all that kind of thing, you, you've got a problem here right now. But there are other problems. There are technical problems in the sense that, that all the loops are different. Now, I'll tell you, their service today... Uh, first, they're only running at 384 kilobits, only. That's 10 times as fast as you've got from your ODM today. They're charging $166 a month. And that does not include Internet access. So, I mean, this is a non-starter for a lot of people because the competition is the cable modem for 39 bucks, including maybe 49 depending on where you are, including Internet access at the same kind of rate. And that will, that will drive the tariff of the XDSL to that, to that kind of level. But right now, you know, they, they don't see it. But he tells me, hey, we got Stanford professors, and they can't be making that much money. And he says, and they're subscribing to this. We have the service in Palo Alto, and 384 kilobits. Um, and uh, there are people that will pay 
166, in some communities it's 199 bucks. So you call them and you ask if you can get that service. You can't get it here, by the way. And um, uh, they, what they look, they have a geographic information system, a database, uh, and they look to see where your home is, and they see how far away from you are from your nearest serving office. And if you're less than 12,000 feet, they say, okay, we may not get, uh, we, you, can, you can get the service, basically, if you're in one of these small communities and willing to pay this money. Um, if you're more than 12,000 feet, they say, sorry. And so how many homes are within 12,000 feet? And the answer is 50%. So your chances, if you call them and you're in a community that's got this, about 50%. Now, all these problems, believe me, are going to go away. You're looking at growing pains right now. The pressure on the industry to get this out there and do it is, is enormous. But, um, but when, they, when you call and they, they promise to give you service, and then it doesn't work because your loop doesn't happen to be very good, which can happen, and they have to send a truck out to fix it, they ain't going to make any money from you for five years. You know, you've burned it all up. Whenever you roll a truck in this business, you know, that's it. So the, the real bugaboo of all this stuff is how much does it cost to do the maintenance and installation and that kind of thing? That's where the, the real problems are. And what speed are you going to connect at? I, you know, even today, see, my, my uh, proposal, and it's a naive one, I admit, but I keep pushing it, is that you get rate adaptive modems, which they have. And they sell them at Sears and other places like that. But you don't get them from the telco, but you go down and you buy them like you buy modems today. And then you just hook it up and, and you get whatever rate you get. Just like if you buy a 56K modem. You know, you don't get 56K, but you get what you get. And that's the way I'd like to do it. And then you wouldn't have any truck rolls. And then, unfortunately, when you only get some pathetic rate and call and complain, they just say, tough. And you say, but I paid $300 for this modem. And they say, I'm sorry, tough. You know, so I mean, there's a little awkwardness here, you see. <laughs> there's a little awkwardness, but the, 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 the corollary would be, or the counterexample would be, if they guarantee you a service, it's going to cost you a lot. That guarantee will, will cost everybody a lot of money. But if they don't guarantee it, and you're one of the people who is out of luck, You'll have no recourse. I just sort of like this because I said today you get what you get. And this is an example of uh, some real data on, on what you do get. And I like to show it because it shows that Tech Bell has the highest connect speeds of anybody. And down through uh, company XXXXX, uh, really there should only be three X's there. And the first one should be an A. <laughs> But I won't give you any more clues on that. Now, the great thing about ADSL is its incremental investment. Unlike the fiber, you don't dig up the streets and put this in before you have a customer. You only buy this when a customer calls to order. That is really great. It's dedicated bandwidth. This is your megabit, you know? Uh, fast deployment. And really importantly, it begins the packet migration of the for the telcos. That's really important, and I'm sorry I'm really not emphasizing that, but as long as people are on voiceman modems, the network will always be circuit-switched, old-fashioned dinosaur technology. The only hope for the telcos is to get people coming in digitally so they can put packet switches in the central office and start the evolution to an Internet-like like network. Um, Okay, let's look at some other things. First, we've got the cable modems. And the beauty of cable modems 
The beauty of cable, it's the arch enemy for the telcos. And every new thing needs an arch enemy to make it happen. You know, if cable modems didn't exist, we would have to invent them. So, and, and the, company, the cable companies are out there pushing them. Now, I, I hear a lot of bad mouthing, and they say the problems are this is a shared medium thing. So that, you know, maybe your modem works great for a while, then your neighbors get them, and you put it all together, and the thing st sort of stops working. And you have no guarantees that they're going to engineer the system so you keep working as it scales. So the scalability of this is in some question. Also, there's an uncontrolled noise environment, because if someone's using a hairdryer in your neighbor's house, that noise is passed down the line and accumulated, and your, your system may come down. But again, those problems are the kind of things that engineers work out and fix. And I think it's really great you'll have an alternative. And right now, in a lot of parts of the country, cable, cable companies are offering service at about roughly a megabit, bundled for $49 with internet access, and um, more power to them. You need that kind of competition. Uh, here, example cable modems, and you see they, the, the, most of them run at about 30 megabits. Not that you're going to get 30 megabits because you share it with other people, but most of them have, have small upstream capability, and many of them use a telco. Uh, you have to have a modem to get back upstream, um, and I won't, I won't go into those kinds of problems because I'd really like to talk about wireless alternatives in the time I have left because um, there are quite a few. I just saw this thing the other day, you know, I mean, this is an old technology, but um, um, that probably was the battery you have to carry back. The, um, the, the, the bottom line here, I think there's something very interesting going on in wireless that, that I didn't intuitively understand until recently, and that is there's a sort of Moore's Law of Spectrum here, and that many of us like myself, grew up in an age when spectrum was very precious and conserved. And that, you know, the government parceled this out in narrow chunks and, and there wasn't enough to go around. And suddenly everybody's saying, there's too much of this stuff. And, and for a bunch of reasons. First, the government is giving out more and more spectrum. Second, we're moving up to high frequencies where there's a lot more bandwidth available. Third, adaptive antennas you know, uh, arrays, sectorization, uh, signal processing, lots of ways that engineers like us get more bandwidth. So what happens is the bandwidth is going up and up. George Gilder, the, the journalist, wrote, and I think this is very perceptive, there is as much bandwidth in the air as is in optical fiber. All you have to do is go high enough in frequency and small enough in cell size so you're not sharing with very many other people. And you can get any bandwidth you want to here. But it all comes down to uh, the economics of this. Now, there are lots of different alternatives out there. In just a couple days, the FCC will be auctioning off something called LMDS. I, I, I think it's a very interesting possibility. This is a 28 gigahertz. And what happens is you buy a little antenna, which is about six inch flat plate, and you stick it in your window, and you're up with a megabit two-way internet access. And the, the antenna is about a mile to two miles away from you. And, uh, uh, and the system has already been pioneered in New York City by a company called Cellular Vision. But um, the companies in California are bidding in the next day or two to use the spectrum and to start putting this up. I think um, that it will be a very interesting uh, uh, possibility. I'll tell you, though, some, I've seen many business. We did a business case for this LMDS. And the bottom line is the same of all the business cases I've seen. And it says if you can get 10% of the people in the footprint of your antenna to buy your service, you'll make money. 
They said, surely we can get 10%. The only problem is all the other competitors have the same business case with the same 10%. And you put them all together, they don't make any sense. MMDS is a lower frequency. It's called tower and power. I mean, it's a giant tower, covers 25-mile radius kind of a thing. So it covers the whole city. This, a year ago, this was the darling of the, of the, of the telcos. They were going to do this. And now they've all given up sort of on this. But there is one that they're pushing in Los Angeles Basin. Los Angeles Basin is really great for that because it's a natural amphitheater for, to, for that kind of coverage in there. But again, what happened to MMDS was the collapse of the idea of video on demand. A tele-TV uh, consortium, they got uh, Stringer from CBS and stuff to do, and that's folded and all that kind of thing. Now, so these are interesting possibilities. Um, I'd like to talk uh, in, uh, a little bit about some of the other things. Um, the, um, I'm going to pass over some of the conventional um, things to um, just mention a couple of satellites and then a couple of real wacky things before I run out of time, which will be very soon. Iridium is going in service very soon. Um, Iridium, of course, was named for the because uh, the, uh, they had 77 satellites, and um, and that was the the, uh, the atomic number of Iridium. Now they decided that that was too expensive, and they went to 66 satellites. So, what is atomic number 66? Anybody? You fail. I think it's dysprosium. So they said, no, nah, we can't change our name. <laughs> and furthermore, a dysprosium is unstable. So this didn't, you know, didn't sound really good. But look, the bottom line here, Iridium will be good for certain kinds of customers. And, but it's only 2,400 bits per second. So don't count on Iridium for your internet access. But what it's really good for is, you know, the, the rich business person uh, traveling in foreign countries. Uh, <laughs> You know, and there's no other kind of thing. Teledestic is a darling of Bill Gates and, uh, and Craig McCaw, and their advertising says Internet in the Sky. Uh, they had somewhat less than 840 satellites, but that was, you know. And the idea, these are low-flying satellites, and, um, and they could truly offer broadband Internet access. But they're not going to ever, I don't think, get the mass market, because the problem with the satellite is the satellite itself is a, is a bandwidth bottleneck. Everything has to go through that, and, and I just don't think you can, you can ever handle a mass market. Teledesic is sort of like, it's sort of the reverse of your uh, cellular today, where when you drive in your car, you drive through progressive cells. In, in, uh, in Teledesic, the cells are passing overhead. You're standing still. But it's like, very much like a tank going over the Earth. The tank's track are actually stable, uh, uh, stationary with respect to the Earth. And as the satellite passes over the Earth, the beam continually is, is adjusted to be stationary as it passes over. And then after it's gone, another satellite's coming by, and its beam comes down there. So this is really neat technology, but they will have to change the entire economics of satellite launches, of building satellites, uh, of everything to make this possible. But it is the one satellite system that I think could change the dynamics of, of, of access. This shows you the relative size of one of the spot beams in California that Teledesic would have. Again, um, I think it's very iffy, but there's so much money and force behind it now that it probably will happen, uh, and uh, it'll be good for some people. Now, I want to uh, finish up with uh, two crazy ideas, because everybody's coming at you with the idea of how can we get this broadband connectivity 
to the home. There's a juicy market. Everybody's demanding it. I want it. As my friend and uh, executive of Time Warner says, they have a certain percentage of the customers who, quote, would chase trucks to get cable modem service. And my only comment to him was, where are these trucks? You know, you know, I'm ready to chase these trucks. You know, if they're 49 bucks, I'm going to get a megabit. You know, I can float through cyberspace. I mean, I want that. So some of the crazy ideas, I, I like, I love these, both of these crazy ideas, I'm going to tell you. But they ain't going to happen, okay? But I love them anyway. The first one is you throw up a balloon, okay? And there are a couple of companies that are going to do it. One is a Sky Station. And if you go to their website, you can see the simulated launch of their balloon. Okay. <laughs> now, think of this as like Moffett Field, you know, the giant hangar down there where the, where the, uh, where the uh, Goodyear blimp comes in to, to rest. And um, anyway, and, and they, they plan to launch one per week. And, uh, to, to, and it's beautiful once you've launched this thing, and if you can keep it there. <laughs> you're looking down on a whole metropolitan area. So their idea is to launch it, uh, put it over New Delhi, India, where you've got 10 million people down there without anything in the way of service. And you look, have a clear line of sight to all of them, and you've got, you've got your balloon up there. And uh, this, this Sky Station actually has a crazy engine. Uh, it's a, an ion engine that's very secret, and they say works to keep, because there, there's these jet streams up there. It floats at 75,000 feet, and you have to keep it in station up there. And so you, this has a lot of uh, solar cells on it, and it's got this ion propulsion engine. And I think it sucks in ions and propels them. I don't know how it works. Nothing. Anyway, but there's a lot of skepticism about whether they can work this. I mean, the communication technology is, is, is a no-brainer here. The problem is, can you actually put this thing up there for a price and keep it there for, for service? Uh, I, I, I did a study some years ago for the Air Force of trying to do the um, early, early warning system with blimps. And I found out a lot of disturbing things about blimps. Uh, one is that people try to shoot down the Goodyear blimp all the time. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, the farmers, they say, well, oh, you know, you know? and, and, but, you know, and they're really disillusioned because they can't bring it down. I, you know, and, uh, you know, one of the things, I mean, the blimp, I mean, I don't know if you realize this, but it's zero pressure inside. So you shoot a hole in it and nothing happens because the gas doesn't feel like going out, you know? And they have a little observation port in the Goodyear blimp, and you stick your head up there, and you see in the sunlight, you see the holes where people have shot holes in and stuff. <laughs> anyway, but the real problem are the, are the economics of the launch and station keeping and all that, that kind of thing. There's another company called uh, Skysat that wants to put uh, uh, things up there. And what they have is they say, well, these, these ion propulsion engines will never work, so we're going to get a pair of these things. And one will come down, and the other will go up. And it'll be just an unmanned but conventional jet fuel, and it'll stay up for a couple months, three months, and then it'll, it'll uh, be replaced. And this is a, uh, you know, an artist's view of their thing. It's 600 feet long. Um, and uh, getting a hangar for it and stuff is a problem. But, you know, and this is their, um, you know, this is artist view. You know, you, you can cover the whole area with this thing. And one of the really, the two really nice things about it, um, the first is that, uh, that as technology changes, and the Sky Station people told me, actually ran into them in the, in the airport in New Delhi, and uh, just sort of eavesdropped in their conversation, but they have five-year uh, life assumed for their blimp. And the question is, why five years? And the answer is, at the end of five years, anything they put in it will be obsolete. You know, 
And so realistically, it's just, you know, the technology will go away. Now, the advantage of these people is they bring this thing down and send up its twin, and then they'll change out the technology. And so whatever it is. Now, here's the other great thing about this. I, I said before, the danger of fiber is stranded investment. This is the ultimate infungibility. If they don't take your service, you take your blimp and go home. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> find, find another city that wants your blimp, you know? <laughs> if you've dug up the streets, you know, you're out of luck, you know? So, I mean, this is a nice financial thing about this. One last slide, and I'll get off of here. This is, this is my favorite crazy idea. I love it. There's a little company, and uh, I forget, I think it's out here, actually, in San Diego. Um, but they say, uh, nobody needs a telephone company. Nobody needs any kind of a service provider here. There's no need for that. All you do is buy our packet radio modem. And um, this happens to be Ricochet, which is in Palo Alto and other places. It's not, not their idea, because in their idea, there's no central anything. But what it is, is you, buy a, you just buy a little modem for your PC, and it sends out radio packets at a megabit per second, and it sends them to whoever is listening. Now, presumably, your neighbor has one of these, and your neighbor receives your packets and sees where they're destined for, so relays your packets on to somebody else. So that if enough of people in your neighborhood have this, the packets just get relayed through until they finally hit an internet, internet service provider and there's no telephone company at all. You just depend on your neighbors, you know, to get your thing. And somebody said to me the other day, yeah, I can't even depend on my neighbor to cut his lawn. <laughs> but, but the company that makes this says, well, you know, we're taking all kinds of precautions. There's no on and off switch on this thing, you know. I mean, <laughs> and uh, furthermore, it's in a, a you know, a tamper-proof case. So that once you buy that, you're committed to relaying everybody else's messages, see? But, you know, if it, yeah, it could work, couldn't it? I mean, if, if people, if everyone at Berkeley, if Berkeley students would say, why are we paying all this money to the telcos? We'll all go buy these modems, and we'll automatically be a community that does our own relaying of all our own stuff. We don't need a telco. Why? We don't need any monthly charges of any sort. It might work. It won't, but it might work. So anyway, I, I'm really out of time, and uh, I hope I've answered your burning questions. Why can't I connect? Good luck. Thanks very much. Would you like to take a few questions? Sure. A few questions? Way in the back. Hi, Bob. Welcome to California. Uh, uh, I hear you talk about 20 years ago. I lied. And you say that bandwidth was going to be cheap. And I was very disappointed today because you came to California offering us uh, cheap bandwidth. I think uh, probably when, when we look in the back, probably it's as expensive, probably more expensive than all the no, I think there's a Moore's Law of bandwidth. I think it truly does get cheaper, but that's bandwidth out in the network. You know, optical fibers have an incredible bandwidth, and, and, and the, they will handle a thousand times the information they handle today, the same fibers. So bandwidth out there, AT&T bandwidth will really be cheap. It'll be a tremendous commodity. The problem is getting in there, and that's the problem I'm talking about today, and that's the bandwidth that's precious. The last mile between you and that giant pool of stuff out there. 
Yes. Um, you have to mention a lot about economics and business questions and that maybe a hindrance to innovation from the telcos is the lack of a business model. Where do you think this business model is actually going to come from? Will it come from academia? Will it come from the market? I think it would come from the market, the business model, because uh, uh, this is really tough. If you were an executive of one of these companies, billions of dollars at stake, and you saw all these different alternatives, all the competition, all the risks of investment and everything, you know, this is really difficult. I think a lot of companies are going to go out of business trying to do this, and I think the market in the end will prevail. And the thing is, none of these is really a clear technological winner. And what we might have is a winner-take-all phenomenon like we have with Microsoft and with Intel, is whoever dominates the market, whatever technology, you know, that gets it, and everybody else is locked out. And it could be almost a cha an event from chaos, you know, as to, as to what, what really happens here. All of these are vying for it right now. It's a huge market, and uh, none of them is an apparent winner at this time. Is government keeping like a hands-off? Yeah, in fact, I exchanged a whole bunch of email messages just today with an FCC person about this kind of thing. And I have a lot of respect for the FCC these days and that they have a, a policy of forbearance, which is really new down there because Washington is terrible at, you know, you know, urge to control everything, to take it over, to regulate. But, you know, they're really, they want to get policies that, that really promulgate ADSL, and that's what my friend is worrying about today. And he's talking with Pacific Bell. What kind of an agreement can we make to make the regulatory climate more easy to try to get ADSL into California? Yeah. The government did go back to the old monopoly. We had this department. They said one conserver. If they went back to the monopoly, well, you'd probably have it in 100 years. <laughs> <laughs> we do it right, though. Okay. <laughs> Everybody did. I stood against you know, you're absolutely right, because some of this is really ideal for monopoly, because the problem is all the competition is choking off anything from happening, because it, it makes everybody's economics bad. If you had one company that owned it all, like we had in the Bell system, they could decide, we'll do ADSL, and we won't have to, we do fiber to the home, because we won't have to worry about the competition stranding the investment. But, of course, we're not going to do that. Yes. You said earlier on that the um, surprises came quicker than the decision points. Uh, is there any possibility that there is something, some technology that we haven't heard of yet that's coming up? I mean, something like data broadcasting that might change everything you said today? Yes, absolutely. I don't know what it would be, of course, because if that wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a surprise, would it? <laughs> <laughs> nothing you sense just below the horizon? No, I, I don't. But I don't. But I always hear about these new companies wanting to do things. A lot of satellite companies, it's a lot of action in wireless, a lot of action in wireless. So anyway, yes? Um, what if we get stuck with the dog? In other words, what, what has there been any analysis of how much we drop if we have a chaotic system selecting our, our uh, less than optimal um, delivery system? I've noticed that in technology, we seem to drop down from our optimal uh, and, and I don't know. Write a paper about this. Uh, you know, but it's true. Absolutely. I think the market does come in on suboptimal solutions, and you get this winner-take-all phenomenon, and uh, and then you end up with uh, Word 6.0. You know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm not worried at all that you won't have to let you will have something. If if nothing else, the government will be sure that happens. But but the the companies will be sure. Uh, but the, the the I think what will happen is the industry will bifurcate into uh, the people the the industry that owns the infrastructure and the in industry that provides the service on top of that. And they will be two different companies. Will they unite like they did before and become virtually a monopoly? Now look what's happening to the electric utility industry right now. I mean, it's being well, that's Reagan started that with all of this diversification and everything, and everybody's eating out of everybody else's plate. <laughs> well, yes, they are, you know. Look, you're going to have your telephone. I'm, not, I'm really not worried about that. Let's take let's take one more one more question here, and then we'll let Bob in. I, this is pragmatic completely, but uh, why not talk to the experts? I live in a condo with about a thousand people. A lot of them are high techies, a lot of them are university people, and uh, we'd like to get a T1. Not all thousand. Right now, there's about 35 people that are signed on. Part of the problem is administrative who's going to administer this, but. Um, well, do you have any suggestions as to, we've got a guy who, I think you even know him, he was a 1959 systems engineer for IBM that kind of understands the technology of it, but what is the best way to go with something like that? Do you have a suggestion? Oh, well, it's a great idea to get, run a T1 and then, uh, you know, get a LAN in your building and everybody could, you know, get an Ethernet connection on it and, hey, you're up and that's great. But the problem is you need somebody to run the thing and to take responsibility for it and that may not be cheap. So it should, it can't be internally within our our group. That or it could be, sure, absolutely. You could, you know, any way you want to do it. But the technology is when you say you need somebody to run it, do you mean could be one of you people pay for it and what happens if it breaks down? Or, you know. Yeah, sure. Somebody's got to configure or, you know, the service and, and keep it up. I mean, uh, you, you see in the halls out here in this school, the people run up and down fixing the stuff all the time. There's a whole race of people who live inside the walls. You know? <laughs> okay. With, with that, well, I'd like you. to thank, thank Bob for a number. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.